I want to talk today about five things the resurrection uh, can give you. Now, you know, in my own mind, when I think about resurrection, it precludes death, doesn't it? Uh, that's the first thing. Well, res- if something's resurrected, that means it was dead. And that, you know, that leads me to think, you know, uh, all of us don't like to think about it, but how many know we're all going to die if Jesus doesn't come back first? In fact, psychologists say, and I've said this for years, about uh, the average American thinks about death about seven times a day, most of the time. When death comes to our minds, we just kind of put it off, particularly when you're young. You, you know, we feel like we're invincible when we're young. My experience in life, however, is that uh, I've actually come close to death six times in my life, two times before I knew Jesus, four times afterwards, age 14, uh, at a drug overdose. Um, I came close to meeting my eternal reward. Age 16, had an auto accident. Again, it was a, a, a crazy experience and Really, really scared me, and uh, I didn't know the Lord at the time. And then after I knew the Lord, I was 25 years of age, and uh, in 1984, had, an, had another auto accident. And then uh, age uh, 37, 1995, uh, I had another auto accident, believe it or not. And you know, you know, you find out real quick, things can change fast, right? Then in 2004, age 45, I was on the way to India, on a missions trips and found out my appendix had burst some time before, spent nine days in the hospital. That was a fairly close call. Then at age 50, in 2008, I was in Congo, and, uh, uh, and a strange occurrence there, a, a, a tank got out of formation where I was and almost ran over the SUV I was riding in. So, uh, you know, when, when you're confronted with eternity, what you think and feel and who you are comes up really fast. And uh, my experience with all that is, has happened so rapidly. You don't wait until you're about to die to prepare. You get prepared ahead of time. Because you may not have time. In fact, that time in the Congo, I've told, I might have told that story before, but uh, the guy that was the missionary we were with, we had a businessman in their car as well. He said it for his behalf. He said, he said when that tank almost literally the the the, the, uh, the Shadow was right over the front of the car. I thought this was it. And my mind was thinking, now this is how it's going to feel to be crushed by metal. Great. That's a great thought, isn't it? You know? But he said, the missionary said, uh, you might uh, want to go ahead and pray now because if something happens, you may not have time to pray. So you know when you're confronted with this thing called death, it really makes you think about, about who you are and what you are. Somebody said, and I read this years ago, you're really not ready to live until uh, you're ready to die. Uh, several years ago, Billy Graham, you know, died, and uh, uh, I noticed he would say on and on in his 90s, I'm looking forward to death. And every time I heard him say that, I would think, I wonder how many people could say like Billy Graham, I'm looking forward to the day I die. Now, now I'm ready to go be with Jesus, but I want to hang out here a little while, don't you? you know, most of us think that way. So, you know, mortality, which is the sureness of death, if Jesus doesn't come back first for us Christians, it's, uh, it's going to affect all of us. But, but see, let me see, here's the cool thing about Resurrection Sunday. Jesus redefined death. Isn't that awesome? Uh, he, he actually experienced it and then overcame it. Now, that gives us a lot of hope. So real quickly here, Matthew 28, I put this in my Facebook page. Uh, if you look at my Facebook page, I put a picture of that garden tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem there that I visited. Here's Matthew 28, 1 through 7, and I put the scripture there. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, 
Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So again, Jesus faced death, conquered it. And and here's the deal. His resurrection changes everything we think about death. So I want to give you five things uh, today that the resurrection of Christ can give you. Number one, uh, the good news is you can go immediately to heaven when you die. Now, that's a, that's a fairly big deal. Jesus said, you know, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then he made a, a very narrow statement, no man comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's very narrow-minded for a lot of people, but that's what Jesus himself said. That was his confession. Then in, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door to the sheepfold. He called heaven the sheepfold, called us sheep. He said, I'm the door. You don't get in there except through me. That, that's, that's the idea. Now, now, most people don't know this, that, and I've shared this so much, but people really don't understand many times, they've not heard it, that the Bible teaches that when Jesus um, died, he first of all went to hell. Now, that's a startling comment. Jesus said in Matthew 12, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. He defined where actually uh, hell was. It's mentioned in the book of Romans. It's mentioned in the book of Acts twice. It's mentioned in uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, that Jesus actually went to hell when he died. Now, uh, this is a startling thought that the Old Testament believers, when they died, they didn't go immediately to heaven. Why? Well, they had a promissory note of salvation uh, at the time. They had a blood covenant with God set in force under Moses' time. And, and uh, God set up through Moses when he appeared, God appeared to him on top of Mount Sinai, a system of law, a system of sacrifices, and a priesthood so that people could be represented before God. And it all bespeaks of the holiness of God. Again, I mentioned this so much, but we live in an American culture that believes that God is too loving, too kind, too benevolent to allow anyone to go to hell. Certainly, certainly I'm going to go to heaven, not hell. But the truth is, the default of human life is set on hell if we do nothing. And that's the reason Jesus was so strong in his statements of being the way, the truth, the life, the door. And so again, the old covenant believers didn't go immediately to heaven when they died. They couldn't because their sins weren't little, literally paid for. They were still a fallen race. They were still sinners uh, in search of a savior and that lamb of sacrifice that they offered once a year on the Jewish day of atonement covered the animal blood literally covered uh, their sins once a year but they had to do the sacrifice over every single year so when Jesus died 
Uh, he didn't go to heaven. You know where he went? Uh, before Jesus died, uh, hell was divided into two compartments. I'm not going to read it. It's in the notes, but Luke 16, 19 through 26, uh, Jesus told a story of the rich man and Lazarus. You may have heard that story. Well, in that story, it talks about hell being divided into two compartments. There was, there was what we call the righteous side of hell. What do you mean by that? Well, there's the place that people who were trusting that one day uh, a, a Messiah would come, a Savior. Messiah means Savior. A Savior would come who, who, is the, who is the fulfillment of that lamb of sacrifice that we slew once a year to cover or atone for our sins. One day he's coming, but he hasn't come yet. They couldn't go to heaven, so they went to this place that Jesus called paradise. He looked to the thief on the cross, and, and the guy said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Most people think Jesus was referring to heaven when he said paradise. No, he was referring to that righteous side of hell where, where people who had a promise of salvation but weren't yet redeemed yet went. Uh, the Bible in Luke 16 calls it Abraham's place or Abraham's bosom or Abraham's lap. You could use any of those terms and it'd be correct. So all the old covenant believers, that's where they went. They went to that, that righteous side of hell. Uh, we don't know that there was flame there, but there was a chasm between that and the unrighteous side of hell. And on that other side, there was the flame because there was a guy in Luke 16. Um, uh, he went there and he opened up his eyes a rich man, he lifted up his eyes and he was in torment. He was tormented in a flame and he was warning somebody from this other side just to get a drop of water, can you imagine, on his finger and touch his tongue. He said, for I am tormented in this flame. So there was a chasm. When Jesus died, he went to that, that righteous side where all of the old covenant saints went. And there the Bible says that he preached the gospel, 1 Peter 4, 6. That is why the good news was preached to those who were now dead, so that they, uh, so all they were, that although they were destined to die, like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. And so Jesus stayed there in that side of hell three days and nights until God was satisfied that the sin debt of the entire human race was paid. Isn't that amazing? And while he was there, he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel to those that were trusting that, that animal sacrifice. And then when he was raised from the dead, people don't realize it's kind of hidden in Scripture. These people on that righteous side of hell, they got up out of there. And when Jesus got in his new body, they got in a brand new body too. They were resurrected from physical death. You say, not so. Listen to Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. Now look, look. The bodies of many godly Men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery. Now, would that shock you? Now, that would make a documentary today, wouldn't it? What about these ghost guys that are looking for ghosts everywhere? Man, it would shock the bejeebies out of them, wouldn't it? They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, appeared to many. Who were those? Those were the Old Testament saints. They were waiting on Messiah to come. When he came and when he died, along with the thief on the cross, he went down. But that man trusted him. He went down to that place, heard him preach the gospel. 
He said, include me in that. And then all of those Old Testament believers, when Jesus, when the angel rolled that stone away from his tomb, the, the earthquake that had happened broke apart a bunch of tombs and the bodies of the believers, the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, uh, you know, David, name the names. They appeared to many in Jerusalem. When Jesus ascended, they went up too. They got glorified bodies like you're going to get one day. Isn't that awesome? Jesus, y'all, conquered death. Now you don't have to wait. I know, for instance, the Catholic Church believes in purgatory. I don't see purgatory anywhere in Scripture. There's no place in Scripture that you, that, that you can go somewhere and then somebody pay some money or pray for you enough through a priest and, and, and your sins are somehow absolved and then you're good enough and pure enough to get into heaven. The only thing that makes you pure enough to get into heaven is the blood of Jesus. He cleanses us from sin. And so we'll look at it in a minute. Now, from, to be absent from the body as a Christian is to be present with the Lord. Immediately, you don't have to wait. You don't have to go to some holding place. No, no, we go immediately. Isn't that good news? Number two, second thing the resurrection does, it absolves us. We can be freed from personal guilt. Now, you know, um, do you ever feel guilty? <laughs> For the things you've done, things you've said? things you've allowed yourself to think about. Uh, I, I'll make this confession. I am a, uh, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Yeah. Uh, that, that means you see a perfectionist, they, 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 things rotate over and over and over in the minds all the time. It's like you never are good enough. You can't do it good enough. If you said uh, something with the wrong nuance on it, you think about it all. They get that, right? A lot of us are that way. I hope you're not. By the grace of God, be free in Jesus' name is all I can say. He, he's freed me from that, and that's a good thing. But see, faith in Jesus' death and resurrection gives us the ability, listen, to stand before God just as though we had never done anything wrong. Now, y'all, the first time I heard that, I was uh, 18 years old. And, and, I, and I said, wait a minute, what? And, and a person said to me, you know, God's not mad at you because of your sin. You bring yourself to Jesus, Jesus forgives and cleanses sin. And he said, when, when God forgives sin, he forgets what you did. And you read a statement from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it, says there, where it mentions the fact that he's not holding their sins against them. In fact, Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless deeds, God said, I will remember no more. If God doesn't remember my past, why should I be thinking about it? Is that good news? So if you're brooding over all your faults, all your failures, all your struggles, bring yourself to Jesus, believe what the Bible says, and then when those things come, say, say whatever's bringing that thought to your mind, just say it. You know what? Out, say it out loud. You know what? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses me from all sin. So as far as God's concerned, I never did it. It's not even past history, right? So let's talk about it. Let's get in the weeds of this a minute. Personal guilt's absolved. How, how does it work? Well, Romans 3, 23, it reveals everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, I could take, you know, have a lesson on all these, but I don't have time. But, you know, today we don't talk about our faults, our shortcomings. We don't teach that to kids in school. No, no, no. Uh, there was a book in the 1960s that came out, and this is really the foundation for a thought that... Um, that everybody has a spark of divinity in them. Everybody's got a spark of goodness in them. Just get them educated, get them in the right environment, and they'll come to life. That spark will come to life. That's opposite of what the Bible said. Often the more educated you become, 
the meaner you become, the more conniving you become. You got different ways to hide what you do, and you can know how to talk yourself out of every situation, right? Yeah, bottom line, you become more self-centered. You could. Is that true? Well, you got to sanctify your education. Anyway, the Bible says everyone's sin falls short of the glory of God. That book, I'm okay, you're okay in the 1960s, that's opposite. And that's the foundation for, for modern psychology, honestly. Friends, the psychology of the Bible says that we are sinners dead in sin. The psychology of the Bible is there is none that does good. No, not one. There is the psychology of the Bible is that we were born in sin and in sin did our mother conceive us. That is the moment we breathed our first breath. We are sinners. We're a fallen race. We're in need of a Savior. Jeremiah said it best. The heart is deceitful above everything and desperately wicked. Jesus said in Matthew 15, from the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, <laughs> murders, thefts, all kinds of sexual immorality and all kinds of abuses. It comes from the heart of man. What does the Bible reveal? We are sinners at the core. You know, we're like, a, we're like an apple that looks good on the outside and you cut it, those organic apples I buy at the grocery store. You better cut them first. If you, if you chomp into it, you might be chomping into a worm. I've, I've cut a bunch open in the dark inside. I used to think I was that bad apple. I looked all right on the outside, but I'm mean inside. Well, really, that was true. Before we come to Jesus, we are mean inside. We are desperately wicked. The Bible says everyone's sin falls short of God's glorious standard. But Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But, doesn't, aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's where Jesus comes in. See, a man got us into sin. The first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve. You know, she was tempted. You know the story in Genesis chapter 3. The deceiver came. Uh, Satan is called a deceiver. He's got 12 names that are listed in the Bible that, that are descriptive of his character. And one of them is a deceiver. He came, to, he came to Eve and said, has God said? See, that's, Satan always comes with questions. Anything that comes to your mind, say, well, how do you know? Well, what do you think? Who said that? How do you know? Did God say? And that's what he said to that's what he said to that's what he said to uh, uh, Eve. Hath God said? Did God say? You're gonna eat that and you're gonna die. You won't die. No, you take a chunk out of that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good from evil. And she did it. Adam did it. He knew what he was doing, and the Bible says that's sin. All of us are sinners because of that one act. And here's the problem: we can't save ourselves. Every human born since Adam's sin was born in sin, born out from under a relationship with God, born in league with God's arch enemy, Satan, born as a mortal death-doomed person. The Bible says the soul that sins will die. And that's us. And that's the human race. It's an indictment against us. And that's why Jesus is so absolutely amazing. The two things he's called in the book of 1 Corinthians, he's called, he's called the second Adam. Why did it call him, and he's called the last Adam. Why does it call Jesus the second Adam? Why does it call him the last Adam? Jesus is the second Adam because, listen, after all that expanse of thousands of years from the time that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground until Jesus came, there were millions and millions of people, perhaps, at least hundreds of thousands, and, and that expanse of time, between the time God created Adam and Jesus came. Nobody was born in fellowship with God. Everybody had their own sin. Everybody was born out from under his covering, fellowship, 
protection, and care. Everybody was under the tutelage of Satan. Everybody was death doomed except Jesus. He was different because God was his father. Because Mary, the virgin Mary, conceived a human being without having sex with a man. That means Jesus was deity. Jesus' blood was sinless. Jesus was God. So when he was born, he's the second Adam, first person born since Adam sinned in fellowship with God, out from under Satan's uh, rule, uh, not, not death doomed, not mortal. He was immortal. That's the reason they couldn't kill him and Italy said, come on, come on and take me. They several times tried to kill Jesus during his ministry, but he would just walk right through the crowd. Hey, boys, we're going to have a good day today and just walk right through. Because his time, the Bible said, had not yet come. Why? He was immortal. He gave his life willingly. And here's what the Scripture very clearly reveals, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where he made him who knew no sin to be a sin sacrifice for us so that we might be made right with God through Christ. The truth is, Jesus bore our sins. That is, every wrong thought, every wrong action, every wrong word that I have ever committed, and you too, Jesus somehow became that. How did he do it? I don't have a clue. How do you become righteous suddenly by just uh, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died for your sins and giving your will to Him? I don't know. I just tell you it happens. It happened to me. It cleans your heart up. It turns you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? He who knew no sin was made to be our sin sacrifice so we could be made right with God through Christ. Again, I mentioned earlier Old Testament Believers had their sins atoned or covered. The word atonement means covering. They had their sins covered once a year with animal blood by a high priest uh, from a bleeding sacrifice. But see, Jesus appeared before God. We just read the scripture there in John where he said to Mary, don't touch me. And then the very, uh, uh, e that very evening of that resurrection day, Jesus, the doors and windows were shut of a, of a room that the disciples were in, and Jesus visibly appeared without going through a door or a window. I mean, just just materialized in midair, just in midroom, and uh, and he looked at he looked at Thomas and said, "Touch me." That morning he said, "Don't touch me." What happened between the time that Jesus told Mary, "Don't touch me," and then he told his disciples, "Touch me," he went to heaven with his blood. And there's an eternal representation of the blood of Jesus in heaven. There's a, there's a, there's a place called the mercy seat in heaven. There, is the, there, there actually is the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. It's a box overlaid with gold that the Old Testament people, uh, uh, that's where the presence of God was in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple. That's where it was. And when Jesus died, how many know the veil of the temple was split in two from top to bottom, signifying that God no longer lives in handmade places, human places anymore. He lives in human bodies now. Is that good news? But when Jesus died, he took his blood to heaven to that representation to the true Ark of the Covenant. And he, poured, he laid his blood there. Maybe when we get to heaven, maybe you'll see Jesus. Or maybe one of your friends or family members that are there, they say, come here, I want to show you something. They say, see over there, that glowing place? Yeah, what is that? Well, that's the Ark of the Covenant that, was, that the, old, that the uh, Ark on earth was patterned after. And what's that on it? It's red. I said, that's blood. Whose blood is it? Jesus' blood. It's an ever-living representation that your sins have been cleansed. Is that good news? 
Hebrews 9, 24, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf, and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now once for all time, he appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Are you glad about that? Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. You know, it'd be good for you. It's a good exercise. I've actually sat back and I think about the fact that every time, you know, you sometimes can remember things you've done. When you do, just see them placed on Jesus. That wrong thing you said, that surrealist word that you used, those thoughts that you should not have allowed to revolve in your mind, those things that you did when nobody knows, or maybe, maybe a few people know, but you want to keep it hidden in a secret, Jesus became that. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. He laid on him the sins of us all. Thank God we can be free from guilt. Is that good news? Third thing is you can be free from the fear of judgment after you die. Now, as a little boy, I attended church three times a week, and I heard a lot about the judgment. I heard Hebrews 9, 27, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. You don't hear a lot about the judgment today, but it's nonetheless true. There is a judgment after life for those that don't know Jesus as Savior, and you find that in Scripture. Here's a scene in the future where every person will be found that dies without faith in Jesus. Every person that never acknowledges that Jesus Christ is virgin born, that he died for their sins and was raised from the dead, will be found at this scene that you read about in Revelation 20, verse 11. Listen, and I saw a great white throne, that's God's throne, and the one sitting on it, that's God himself. The earth and sky fled from his presence and there was found no place to hide. And then it says, I saw the dead, both small and great and small, standing before God's throne. Now, now look at me a minute. The Bible never calls a person who has become spiritually alive in Christ the dead. Never. Not one time. This is not referring to believers. It's referring to people that you would call a, a non-believer, an unbeliever. Unbeliever in what? They don't believe in Jesus' sacrifice and they've not made it personal. These are the people found there and they're called the dead. They're spiritually dead. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books were open, including the book of life and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, it's a, you know, it's kind of a scary thing to think I guess there are a bajillion angels in heaven, and one of their jobs is to record everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. The cool thing is, when you make Jesus Lord and confess your sin, when, the book of, when, when your book of works is opened up, page after page after page, there's erasure marks. Because God doesn't remember your past. I don't know about you. I'm going to say, angel, open up that book. <laughs> I confess my sin. Well, let me see. And man, some pages, maybe you can't even read it because it's not there. It's blotted out. Is that good news? 
You see, people that don't know the Lord, they think their good works are going to get, get them to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you're saved through faith. That not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, a lot of people boast. I'm a good person. I do good things. I help, good, I help people in all kinds of ways. Certainly God's not going to let me go to heaven. Well, if you have that belief system, you'll have, a, you'll have an opportunity to challenge God's justice. You'll say, okay, God, I've been a good person. Okay, you've been a good person. God's sitting on the throne. You've been a good person. He says the books are open. And it says the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. Now, that's the skeptic. That's the person that says that Bible's a bunch of junk. I don't believe it. I'm going to live like I want to live or do what I want to do. And I'm going to heaven. I don't care what anybody says. That's the person that will be there. They haven't made Jesus Lord. They're judged according to what is written in the book of works, according to what they had done. The problem is there's no human work can, that can make us holy, that can absolve our sin, that can cleanse our past. It's only the blood of Jesus. Then it says here, the uh, sea gave up its dead, the death and grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. That Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. So you could see hell is like the county jail where people stay awaiting the sentencing. They're going before a judge, the hearing. There's the, you know, there's the, uh, the trial. And, then, and this, is, this is the trial place of eternity right here. And then once a person is found guilty, it says here, then death and grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, everybody's got a book of works, but people who make Jesus the Lord, your name is recorded in a book called the book of life. How many want your name recorded in that book? I die, first thing I'm going to do is, where's that book? Where's that book? Hey, angel, could you show me that book, that book of life? Uh, Horton, H-O-R-T-O-N. Uh, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, -L. look it up, Irwin, E-R-W, look it up. Just a minute, sir. Four tenths, four blah, 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 blah. Oh, Mitch, Wayne, David, Henry, Calvin, Mitch, 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 that's it, that's it. You want your name in that book, is that true? Question, is your name in it today? If it's not, it can be before you leave. That's good news. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We're already condemned, verse 18 says, because we've not believed in the name of His only begotten Son. Thank God we can be saved, we can be born again. And thank God when you die, you don't have to be afraid of judgment. I tell you, you don't know what that did to me as a, as a young man in my teens, when I found out that I don't have to face judgment, that Jesus faced judgment for me. And he did for you as well. Number four, the fourth thing that the resurrection gives us, you can receive spiritual authority over Satan in the demonic realm. Now, this is a little bit, this is, this is a little bit out there, but watch this. The Bible reveals that invisible demonic forces that are not detected, detectable by the five senses that they often manipulate human behavior. And, and people who seem rational, mostly kind, mostly good, can do some really stinking, outrageous things. Is that true? And, and you hear it all the time, every day on the news, whatever, however you get your information. Uh, and, and that happens, and there are demonic forces that we can't see, but that are very real, that affect 
often affect us on earth. Obsessive fears, overwhelming thoughts of personal doom and gloom, obsessive thoughts perhaps, uh, all kinds of addictions, alcohol addictions, drug addictions, sexual addictions, all kinds of addictions to all kinds of things can be signs of demonic intrusion into a person's life. Now, I'm not going to go into any detail, but to say I've had to deal with that in my ministry. I've ministered to people who have been in, under various stages of demonic control, and I've seen them freed by the power of God. Um, irrational fears are, are, are sometimes demonic in nature. Not always are these things that way, but sometimes they are. And the Bible says, in fact, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, we don't, we don't wrestle, we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies, but he talked about uh, demonic forces. He called them principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And he told us to take the armor of God so when they come and try to attack, we can stand against them. So the good news is, the good news is, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he gave us authority over these demonic forces. That's another thing that the resurrection brings us. Genesis chapter 1, when God created the first man and woman, he said, let them have dominion. God gave the human race an a measure of his all authority, a measure of his all dominion. God, is, God has universe-wide dominion authority. He is the one everybody is answerable to. He created all. He transcends or lives outside of his creation. When he created humans, he gave us a measure, or we could call it, of that all authority. And when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman sinned, this is the Bible narrative, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave the the original authority that God gave the first man and woman, they gave it away to God's arch enemy, Satan. Satan became the God of this age, the Bible says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that do not believe, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Jesus said in John 14.30, the prince of this world has come. The ruler, evil genius, some translations say, of this world has come. And he has nothing in me. Uh, the Bible says very clearly in 1 John 5.19, the living Bible, we know that we're children of God. And all of the rest of the world around us is under Satan's power and control. Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, appeared to his disciples for 40 days. And then just before he left, said, guys, come here, come here. Something strange is about to happen. Gravity's going to lose his grip on me. Quick, quick, quick. Come, quick, quick, quick. Everybody look. Eyeball, eyeballs on eyeballs. Look, look, look. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And I know they're thinking, we already knew that. No, no, no. Jesus was talking as the representative human being. The second Adam, the first person born since Adam's sin, born in relationship with God, born out from under Satan's control, the first person that actually conquered death. Jesus came out of the grave, appeared to his disciples, 40 days, I am he that lives, and I was dead, and I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Keys represent authority. So Jesus told his disciples, all authority is given unto me. He wasn't saying that as the Son of God. He was saying that as a human being that conquered death, that started a brand new race of people called new creation people who have the same authority that Adam and Eve had before they sinned. Now, I don't know about you, but that pushes my buttons. So when irrational fears come to me as they do all of us at times, when crazy things seem to occur, when these things rise up, do this, do that, think this, think that, go here, go there, shut up in Jesus' name. 
And then I've had the wonderful experience of someone reaching out in, in tears. I can't help myself. I don't know what to do. The thoughts, the emotions, I pout. I'm afraid. And, and you, you can do it quietly. In Jesus' name, be free. And I've seen them free, y'all. Now, that's amazing. So, you know, the resurrection gives you an ability to live life without being afraid. Show me all the ghost movies you want to, the booger movies you want to, the spooky movies you want to, the Amityville horror movies you want to. Let me tell you something. Jesus conquered our adversary and gave us his authority. Is that good news? If you don't know that, you need to know it. Because uh, we're living in some pretty crazy times right now. And it seems as though the enemy's raising his head. We as believers need to stand up in our authority. How many hear me? Last thing that Jesus did, you will receive a brand new body when Jesus returns. Now, maybe you don't like the one you're living in right now. <laughs> For various reasons. Don't fill in the blanks. <laughs> the good news is, when Jesus comes back, you'll get a new one. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he got back in that body that died. It's a resurrection body. His disciples, uh, you know, he was walking down the road to Emmaus. He was talking to them about the things of God. Later on, he ate some fish and bread and stuff with them. And he said, uh, he said, handle me. He said he had a flesh and, and bone body, not a flesh and blood. Yeah, new laws, new rules. Jesus could disappear, reappear. New laws of locomotion. Gravity doesn't hold on to that body. Jesus was there at the ascension, and he said, guys, all authority is given unto me. And then after that, he went right up. And they watched him go up into heaven. Yeah, that's a different body. Are you excited about getting a new body one day? We don't like the one you got. You're getting it back, but it's going to be all perfect and nice. You won't have a bit nose or crooked ear. You won't have scars. No, I don't know. Jesus has scars in his, right? Uh, you won't be too skinny, too fat. You'll be just right. Everybody will be beautiful, shining with the glory of God. Is that good? Oh, yeah. You won't be young or old. You'll be perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. But we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside, don't we though? But it's, clear, but, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of the bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies. So these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. It excites me when I, you know, I don't like to do funerals particularly, but when I do, what is exciting is that person that's in that casket, that person that we're talking about, I know one day that casket will be empty. That grave will be open. That urn, the ashes will disappear and they'll get a glorified body. Is that good news? Philippians 3.20, but we as citizens of heaven, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power uh, with which he will bring everything 
under his control. Some people will get these bodies at what the Bible calls the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints just before Jesus comes back in his second coming. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, and this is at the, what we call the rapture of the church. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never, never die, the Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Is that good? So, you know, you just have to say, devil, whatever you bring and bring it on. We have authority over you. We're walking with God. We're doing His will. We know when we die, we're going to heaven. We know our, our past has been done away with in Christ. It's as though we've never done anything wrong. Guilt has been absolved. We don't have judgment ahead of us. We have a future with God in heaven ahead of us. We have authority over you now. Shut up and be quiet and go in Jesus' name. And One day, Lord, I thank you that I'll have a brand new body. Do you believe that? Have you made Jesus' sacrifice personal to you? Have you made available to you what's available in Jesus' resurrection? Are you going to heaven? Ask yourself right now. You're watching online. You're in the room. You may have come with a friend today, a family member today. Are you going to heaven, really? Listen, I mean, I, like I said, six times, I, I wasn't planning for these death, near-death experiences to happen, but they did. I wasn't looking for them, and, and every single time it happened, I didn't know it was going to happen. God hid it from me. One man I read after said, the veil that hides our futures woven by the hand of mercy. God didn't show you everything. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to die? You're not ready to live unless you're ready to die. Are you going to heaven? Are you freed from personal guilt? Are you free from the fear of judgment? Ask yourself, after you die, do you have personal authority over the demonic realm when it comes to attack with its fears and phobias and such? Do you? Do you have the belief system that one day you're going to get a brand new body? See, all that's very positive, isn't it? So it's a positive gospel. It'll give you a positive life. It'll change you. Instead of seeing the cup half empty, you'll start seeing the cup half full. You'll start seeing the best in others because God has put his best in you. How many hear me?